right, well, good morning. Good to be with you. My name's Ryan. Of those of you that are new, glad you joined us. And that was my son. He did a good job, huh? Give him a round of applause. Yeah, on the way over, he said, Dad, he goes, it might be funny if I walked up and I opened my Bible and I walked up and said, turn to John chapter 2. I said, oh, no. They'd say, we're starting over. We've been in John for two and a half, three years. Uh, well, hey, we're going to have a good morning this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Uh, we're in John chapter 16, and uh, we're teaching about the Holy Spirit over the next few weeks, and so hope, hope that you've uh, enjoyed it. Uh, next week, I'll wrap up this little mini section in the Gospel of John on the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a story um, specifically in illustrating uh, how the Holy Spirit works with unbelievers. How many of you have friends um, that you know they're far from God? Raise your hand. I want to tell you about how the Holy Spirit works on them. Um, because we often think about how the Holy Spirit works with us, right? Second uh, Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Amen. And so what, what I want to show you, though, for a moment is how the Holy Spirit works with unbelievers. And I'll tell you the story of my life just for a moment. Um, my story is I was the kid that thought that if I could look like Axl Rose, sound like Axl Rose, have the guitar, sing a little patience to my girlfriend, everything would be really cool. So I married the idea that, uh, unfortunately, sex, drugs, and rock and roll was a cool thing. And that got me in big trouble. I remember um, in this dark season of my life, I started feeling the spirit of God's conviction on my life. I remember going to a party one night. It was a rave party, and the house was packed out with um, some of my uh, stoner friends. And, uh, and then at, I got overwhelmed by being there. It's like I felt like God was trying to get a hold of me and pull me out of this dark circle of friendship that I had been in for a very long period of time. And so um, all of a sudden, a fun, eventful experience, a party that should be good for me on a normal uh, Friday night, no longer is fun. I walk outside of the house, and I go outside, and I look up, and I see the stars, and I get overwhelmed, and literally out of my mouth, and I, if you would have asked me what my faith position was two hours earlier, I would have told you I'm an agnostic, I was intelligent enough to know I wasn't an atheist. I believe there was a God. I just didn't know who he was. So I was an agnostic, and I'm so convicted about kind of all the lifestyle I had been leading um, with the drugs and the alcohol and the girls and all that stuff um, and all of that, that I leave this party and I walk outside and I say, I am sorry, Lord. And I'm thinking, why did I just say that? <laughs> I don't have a Lord. Uh, why would I say that? And then I'm thinking to myself, because there is a God, and you know who he is, Ryan. I think that was the Holy Spirit trying to wake me up, trying to get me to pay attention. And my friends yelled out, uh, hey, Ryan, come back in. And I looked back at the house, and smoke was pouring out. And music was pouring out. And I looked back at the stars, and I'm thinking, man, I shouldn't do it. And I said, yeah, I'll be there in just a second. And I went ahead and walked in. Um, I walked in, and then I continued to live that lifestyle for another year or so. And I had felt the Holy Spirit tug on me in that night, and I won't ever forget it. 
Um, then I came to a place where I told my friends that I needed to lay off the drugs. I felt like convicted by God that I should get off drugs. You know, and um, I, should, I just started feeling convicted about my lifestyle. And, you know, um, so I remember telling some of my friends, um, they were getting stoned all the time. And uh, I told them, I said, you know, man, I feel like maybe I should just quit. Be, you know, I don't know, just take a break. They're like, oh, man, don't do that, Ryan. You're so much fun to be around when you're, when you're messed up. You're, you know, don't do that. And I said, no, I'm serious. And then I, I'm in the truck one day, and I'm driving, and I tell the Lord, Lord, if you want me to get off um, drugs and make it so when I take them, like, it messes up my body. That's what I said. So I remember I literally, somebody handed me something, and I was starting to smoke it. And right when I smoked it, it's like my whole head filled up. Felt like it, like concrete poured into my head. And I couldn't even talk clearly. Uh, and then I told my friends, and I said, hey, man, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just, every time I smoke out, I'm like, it like messes me up now. And they're like, oh, man. Well, it's winter time, man, you know. You should try in the springtime. Sometimes the weather has a thing going on. I said, yeah, that's right. That's right. So I, I, I waited till springtime, and I went out and partied, and then, and I'm like, oh. I go to my friends. I'm like, hey, man, it's, man, it's happening again. I can't do it. Oh, man, it, it's different here. There's a lot of pollen in the air, man. You should wait till the summertime. So I waited till the summertime, and it happened again. And I started feeling like God was chasing me. In 1883, there was a little poem written called The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. And it depicts God as this relentless pursuer of the human soul. And it uses this metaphor of a hound and a rabbit. And the hound is the Lord chasing the rabbit. And the rabbit is mankind. And the rabbit is seeking to evade the hound at every turn. But the hound eventually catches up. That's the story of me. I finally came to this place, what I call a sovereign surrender. Like, I realize, like, I, I can't run anymore. I'm tired of running. I, I give up. I give in. And that's what happened. Um, there was a guy from a Thursday night service recently. He came up to me out there in the Ramada. And he said, man, I was at home was watching football, it's Thursday night, thumbing through the channels, and then I looked at my phone and I scrolled, and I was thinking about how much I hated God, and how much I'm mad about my life, and how, where I'm at, and I was scrolling through Facebook, and I saw North Valley, and all of a sudden something came over me, and he, it said, get to church, young man, <laughs> and so he goes, I came to church. I said, literally? He goes, like, five minutes ago this happened. I was like, wow, okay. So what's next? And he goes, I felt like I needed to come confess all my sins. I said, well, let's wait till after the service. <laughs> and then I started thinking, this is a guilty Catholic for sure. <laughs> and then I, I said, instead of trying to explain the whole priesthood of all believers and all that, I just said, hey, you know what? Come on. Come confess all your sins to me. <laughs> we'll go out here. And he starts confessing his sins. And I just pray for him. And I tell him about Jesus and how Jesus Christ forgives sins. 
it was the hound of heaven coming after that man. Um, today, when we look at the sermon, um, the, the, particularly the passage, John chapter 16 is where we're going to be. The aim of the sermon, my prayer is, is that you're going to learn to lean in and trust and follow the Holy Spirit and understand how he works in the world around us. So John chapter 16, I'm going to read it kind of fast, and then we'll come back through and try to unpack as much as we can. Um, it says this, Jesus, remember it's Thursday night, it's Passover season, no better time to be in Jerusalem than Passover season. Um, Friday night, he'll be crucified, and he's writing, he's already told his disciples, you're going to go through persecution. He's going to remind them, but he's also telling them that they've got help from the Holy Spirit. Uh, John chapter 16, verses 1 through 11, he says, I've said these things to you uh, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and they will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Amen? Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to work through this section. I want to just kind of rehearse, though. Jesus has war warns them in those first few verses. He's, he's warning them again that they're going to be ostracized. It says in the scripture that they're going to be put out of the synagogues. Um, the synagogue was the, the lifeblood of the community. It was like the local YMCA, but far better. You know, it was a really cool place to, to learn and to grow and to explore uh, uh, the, the faith. And to be put out of the synagogue, it was a big deal. Like um, back then, you have to remember, this is a theocracy. So it, to be put out of the synagogues, literally like to be put out of the nation of Israel. Uh, you, 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 you're not, you're, you're like a foreigner. Uh, you're ostracized. You're blacklisted. You're canceled. Um, you, you lose your family. You lose your friends. I've had um, friends that come out of the Islamic faith and they come to faith in Jesus Christ and their family says, don't see us again. We're having a funeral for you. Um, that's what it would have been like. I mean, for you, if, I, if you got kicked out of the church or whatever, I mean, you'd be like, oh, so what? I'll go to a church down the road. You go, hey, you get that church kicks you out. Guess what? You watch online. <laughs> it's not going to affect your life, but it would definitely would affect them. Furthermore, these disciples, Jesus is warning them, um, they're going to be killed. He says, indeed, the hour is coming. They're going to kill you. Um, all the disciples will die a martyr's death. John will be tossed into a boiling pot like an egg. Uh, he won't burn. Um, he's the only one that survives like that and dies a natural death. Uh, all of this happens, and what's, what's really ironic about it is that uh, many of these people think that they're offering a service to God. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, indeed, the hour is coming. They're going to kill you, and they'll think that they're offering a service to God. The word service in the Greek is actually this. It's latreia. 
And it's where we get the word liturgy. And so in other words, there's a religious extremist that's going on that started with the Jewish people and it, it moves from the Jews later. It will be the Roman Empire. Then it will become the Catholic Church. And uh, then, then, then it will move into like where we see a lot of persecution with Islam today. But the word latreia literally is a word that where we get the word liturgy and people cur- uh, kill, murder, and persecute Christians thinking they're doing a liturgy almost. Like, a, like it's, a, it's the jihad kind of thing. The apostle Paul was uh, uh, formerly called Saul and he advanced through Judaism, it says, uh, because he was a persecutor. Um, Many people, the religious extremists, think they're doing a service to God. Uh, this happens uh, throughout all of religious history. Um, there's persecution around the world. You see it today in Hezbollah and Hamas. And I had a story of a friend named Bob Goff. Many of you have heard of him. He's a writer. Uh, I called him up the other day. He puts his phone number in the back of a book. And he says, call me anytime. And uh, I, so I tried it out. So I called him. I'm like, hey, Bob. He's like, hey, how are you doing? What's your name? I'm like, I'm Ryan. I want to share your story. Uh, Bob was in India, and he was trying to um, rescue, uh, with a team of men and women, rescue um, girls that had been sold into sex trafficking. And uh, he went in, and they found the girl, and they freed her. And then they contacted the parents and then the parents get come and get her and then they find out that the parents take her right back in and they sell her back into slavery. So then Bob and his team come in to try to rescue her again and remove the parents and it turns into a fiasco where Bob and his team are hiding in a car and they're being stoned in the car. Not the high school kind of stoned, but stoned. And uh, they're hiding in that car for an hour. Um, Ultimately, it's because the the Bible tells us why. And Jesus says it. Look at verse 3. It says, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Why why do people persecute Christians? Because they don't know the Father. They don't know Jesus. That's what Jesus says. He re-explains this. And then uh, he explains that he waited to share this with them. He says in verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Um, Jesus didn't need to tell his disciples um, about all the persecution in the beginning. Why? Because Jesus took the heat. Nowhere in the Gospels do you find Peter, James, and John all being persecuted for their faith while Jesus is there. Because Jesus takes the heat. But see, when Jesus leaves, the people that are going to get persecuted are not Jesus anymore. It's the body of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is with us. And so if Jesus was here today, guess what? The church wouldn't be persecuted. Guess who would? Jesus. So Jesus says, I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. There was no need to. Um, But today, it's the body of Christ that is persecuted. They persecuted the literal body of Christ when he was walking the earth. Now they persecute um, the spiritual body of Christ, the church. Jesus explains his departure in verse 5. If you look, he says, I'm going to him who sent me. Well, who sent him? For God so loved the world. Amen? It's the Father that had sent him. Uh, He says, I'm going to the... 
to, to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? And you might say, well, yeah, I think they did, Jesus. In John chapter 13, Peter does ask, where are you going? But it wasn't like that kind of, where are you going? Where are you going? Like, hey, where are you going, Jesus? I'm very curious. It was actually a more of like, where are you going? Do you know like a parent does with the kid? <laughs> the kid? The kid's like, you're like, clean your room. The kid's like, all of a sudden you see the kid outside riding the bike. You're like, uh-uh, where are you going? Like, others, get back here. That's what was going on with the disciples. They were all asking the wrong questions. They were upset that he was leaving. They had no really concern for what was going on. All this is just, to me is just highlights kind of the emotional well-being of the disciples, and it wasn't healthy. Um, they're confused. They don't really understand where he's going. Um, it would be like if I said to you, hey, I'm going to go. I hadn't seen my dad in, man, three years. Yeah, and I would love to go back and I'm going to spend some time with my dad back in uh, Arkansas and have time with family. If you responded and you said, well, golly, where do you think you're going? You got a church to, 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 to lead. Uh, that would just show where you're at. Um, rather, you should say something like, man, uh, tell me about it. That's going to be awesome for you to reconnect. Uh, Jesus was longing for this reunion with the Father. And the disciples were confused about it. And Jesus is going to reveal their heart. Look in verse 6. He reveals the heart. This is where they're at. Sometimes you've got to know where you're at if you need to know where you're to go. The disciples are filled with sorrow. Verse 6, he says, uh, but Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your what? Let's try that again. Sorrow has filled your, your heart. What's filling your heart? You afraid? Anxiety? Sadness? Depression? Discouragement? Fear? Um, sorrow has filled these guys' hearts, and I think the sorrow kind of settled in and set up camp. In the rest of the Gospels, you see a lot of sorrow in these guys' hearts. In fact, in John chapter 20, on the evening of the resurrection, the disciples are found behind locked doors. And it says, because they were afraid of the Jews. In fact, at the empty tomb, it wasn't the guys that showed up at the empty tomb. It was the ladies. Why is that? Sorrow had filled their heart. Um, what fills your heart? Uh, Jesus is exposing it, and it should be filled with faith. It's not fear. Um, these guys are filled with fear, and so Jesus is going to assure them, hey, this is a good idea. Verse 7, look what it says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus tells the truth, amen. So he, he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is to your advantage. <laughs> it's to your advantage. It's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before as a parent, but when you smack your kid or something, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. This is, you know, one day you'll understand this. This is going to be good for you. <laughs> no! Uh, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I mean, it sounds pretty tough. Like, hey, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. You're going to get killed. Hey, this is to your advantage. I mean, it's tough pill to swallow. So he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that, if I, that I go away for... If I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
number one, I would say, is Jesus always tells the truth. He, the devil is a liar. Jesus tells the truth. There's the spirit of truth that's at work. And the Bible says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You got that one. Good job. Um, it's to your advantage. Uh, the word is simphero in the Greek, and it means gather or get together. And I think what it means is that the Holy Spirit is literally going to help you and empower you and get you together with other believers. And the Holy Spirit's going to be working with you too, getting together with all of you. Because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the presence of God on the earth, especially in the church, gathering, but also individual. Corporate, yet individual. So it's to your advantage a lot of times we see hardship and we don't think this is going to be an advantage. Um, I think each one of us have custom weaknesses and hardships and challenges. But doesn't the Bible say that God uses all things together for the good that who know him? Amen. Can't you look back on your life and see some really difficult situations and seasons and go, oh my goodness, this is hard. But then you realize, wait a second, this could be to my advantage. Are you there? You know what I'm saying? I'll tell you my story. I'm an ADD guy. So like my wife talks to me and then she says to me, did you hear what I said? And I always lie. And I say, yes. <laughs> and then she says, tell me what I said. And I say, I confess. I actually don't remember. <laughs> um, it's ADD. I found out the other day that um, in entrepreneurs, 70% of entrepreneurs have ADD. I'm like, thank you, praise the Lord Jesus. <laughs> then I found out entrepreneurs with ADD are 300% more likely to succeed than those who don't. Hallelujah! <laughs> Why is that? Because people with ADD, they better learn to focus. Every day I wake up and I'm like, I, tell, I told my wife the other day, I've got one hour, I have to do this garage, I've got to do this and that. And then I'm walking around and I grab the laundry and I start dragging it. She goes, that's not the garage. I said, oh my gosh. And it was totally, I was completely like in a moment. She, I was like, you busted me. Um, all my point is, is that sometimes there's hard things that are going to go on and it's actually to your advantage. Um, the disciples don't see that. If I do not go away, the helper will not come. In other words, no helper, no good. Let's say that together. No helper, no. It's no good. Um, you know that you wouldn't even be saved if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, he saved us through the washing of rebirth by renewal of the Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, apart from the Spirit, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. Uh, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus, and he's trying to understand how to be born again. And Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water and of the Spirit. I had a friend one time, um, I was a river rafting guide, and uh, he was a guy from, from uh, Arkansas, and so he came up, and I was guiding on the Colorado, in Colorado on the Arkansas River, big class three, four whitewater, and we were in this one section called Widowmaker, and in Widowmaker, there's Meat Grinder, and Meat Grinder earned its reputation by just smashing people up against the rocks. So I said, whatever you do, don't fall out in Widowmaker and especially Meat Grinder. And it's a really weird, scary rapid because it's really wild and you're pushing down through the big white water. And then all of a sudden there's these big eddy pools and you're like sitting there real slow. 
And then all of a sudden, as soon as you get out of that eddy, it's shoo, you're just shooting through. So he falls out in meat grinder and he falls out right beside me and he goes, oh, I'm going to die. He just yells up at me and I look at him and I said, be quiet. And I grab his life jacket. It's like a class three, four whitewater uh, jacket. And I said, hold on. And I grab him and I push him underwater. And he goes, ooh. <laughs> and he's doing his hands like this. And uh, I, I, come, I, I use the buoyancy, the buoyancy factor. Boom. And then I had big muscles back then. And I, he just flops in like a fish. And then he yells out, you saved me. I said, yeah, I kind of did. Um, I was like, you should tip me for that because <laughs> we don't make much. Um, I remember people coming here to church and I share and preach. And then somebody says, pastor, you saved me. And then I say clearly, no, I did not. The spirit of God saved you. See, what I'm trying to tell you is that with lost people, it's the spirit that saves. The spirit of God is the one who's working them to a place to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He saved us, Titus 3, 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, being born again, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus says, if I go away and send him to you, I'm going to send him to you, to you. So every believer has the Holy Spirit in you, working in you. Jesus always fulfills. How many of you order from Amazon? Raise your hand. It's okay. It's like, okay, all right, good. Um, I do too. And so I've got some orders out right now, and I'm waiting on them. And I check the status. And then some of, it, some of the times, your order has been fulfilled. I like that sign. Um, Amazon's got a very strong fulfillment rate. They have fulfillment centers. What I'm trying to tell you is Jesus is far greater than Amazon. When he makes a promise, he will fulfill it. Um, he says he's going to send you the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. My job is not to convince you to somehow is to um, go attain the Holy Spirit as a believer in Jesus Christ. My job is to tell you, you already have the Holy Spirit. Um, he's been sent to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. So what's the job of the Holy Spirit in working in the world? And here's what we'll do in our remaining time together. Um, in verses 8 through 11, you're going to see a threefold work of the Holy Spirit in convicting. Um, and if one of these happens, all of them's going to happen. It's a threefold work. You get one, you get them all. Um, now, because you guys are, look like you're awake pretty good, and because I think you have some pretty decent intelligence here this morning, well, let me rephrase it. You look incredibly intelligent this morning. <laughs> Not decent, okay? Uh, so, uh, I'm going to ask you, what are the three works of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to read this one verse, and then you're going to tell me. Oh, you're giving them the cheat sheets. Hide that thing. There we go. <laughs> Everybody. I don't remember what movie that was from, but that's what I just said. Okay, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What three things is he going to convict of? Sin. Okay, and all of us probably understand, right? Like, I am not a super smart pastor. I have to work 
five times as hard as everybody else just to function every day, you know? So um, sin we get, right, concerning sin. We understand that idea. But the idea of concerning uh, righteousness and judgment is a little harder. But let me back it up just for a minute. What does it mean to convict? The Greek word is elenako or elenoko, and it means to expose or to prove or to show guilty. It's the process of being condemned like a convicted felon or a convicted criminal. Give me a show of hands of all my convicted uh, felon. No, I'm joking. I just want to do that. I did that in the Thursday night service, and then I made it even more awkward. I said, do we have any police officers in the house? Raise your hands. And like one room was the felons, and the other room was the police officers. I said, I'm very sorry. We're all one in Jesus Christ this morning, this evening. Uh, But the word conviction is the idea. It's to expose or to show guilty. And uh, the Holy Spirit's like a prosecutor. Um, Throughout the Bible, there's this idea of conviction. When Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 and 4 and on, he preaches and it says that they were convicted. They were cut to the heart. And it's not like Peter was this most eloquent speaker. Like he's a fearful, backstabbing betrayer who struggled with fear, transformed into incredible faith and courage and starts preaching filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's preaching brings Spirit's results, and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ because they were convicted, though. The purpose of conviction is to lead people to repentance. So this idea is that the Spirit convicts the world. It's uh, making them feel under a conviction. Like that guy on Thursday night, he was convicted that he has to come and talk to me about sin. The world in view here is the cosmos. It's all unbelievers. Um, That's the context of John 14, 15, 16, 17. And the Holy Spirit's threefold work is number one is the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Um, What is sin? Sin is any violation to God's word and to God's ways. There's sins of commission, things that you do. And then there's sins of omission, things that you should have done, but you didn't do them. Um, When we think of sin, we often think of uh, things like can't cuss, can't dance, can't chew, can't go with girls that do. Uh, These sins are, uh, you know, stuff like that you think, uh, but that's not the kind of sin we're talking about here. We're talking about the sin of unbelief. That's what it is. Look in your Bible in verse 9. He says, because they do not believe me. That's the chief sin. That's the biggest problem. That's the hardest, most difficult sin. It's the sin of unbelief. And Jesus dealt with this throughout all of his ministry. John chapter 6, it says that there was unbelieving crowds. And then in John chapter 12, Jesus would perform miracles. And he had been doing it for many years. And and they still did not believe despite all the miracles. And then even Jesus' brothers, the Bible says that in John 7, is that they did not believe him. Um, The sin of unbelief is a big deal. Um, Most of the Jews did not believe Jesus Christ. I mean, you have a a few uh, uh, religious Jewish folks that come to faith in Jesus Christ. You have Nicodemus. He was like a scholar. Um, He was there later in the retrieval of the body and uh, prepping the tomb for Jesus and 
Church history tells us he was later a, a strong believer and worker in the, new church, in the early church. But the sin of unbelief is the sin that's in context here because it's about, it's about the Holy Spirit working with unbelievers. The sin of unbelief is the only sin that actually sends people to hell. Um, if you die and you've rejected Jesus Christ and up to the point of your death, you don't, you don't get a second chance. Um, that's the issue here, being... Uh, a drunkard or a liar or a thief doesn't send you to hell. Um, being gay, being sexually immoral, a fornicator, immoral in any kind of way, doesn't, that doesn't send you to hell. What sends you to hell is a rejection of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. We've transgressed. We're lawbreakers. So let me help you put this into the divine uh, courtroom concept for a minute. The Holy Spirit is the prosecuting attorney, okay? Um, I have an attorney friend, and I told him a joke the other day. He didn't really laugh. I said, hey, I got to tell you a joke. He said, what is it? I said, if, you, if I were to throw a snake off a building and a lawyer off the building, which one would hit the ground first? He said, I don't, he, he said, I don't know. And I said, who cares? <laughs> he said, that wasn't funny, Ryan. I said, I know. I'm sorry. It's the only lawyer joke I know. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the prosecuting attorney. He's the one who convicts the hearts of individual sinners. Um, so you can't convict the hearts of people. I mean, the Holy Spirit working in and through you as you're sharing about Jesus Christ can't bring conviction. But at the end of the day, you're not the one changing hearts. Amen. The Spirit of God can take a heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. Amen? The Spirit of God is what changes people. Um, in the divine courtroom setting, the unbeliever is the trespasser. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The unbeliever is the one, the criminal, standing condemned. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Well, who's the judge? Is it the church? Is it Christians? Super saints? The Pope? Who's the judge? Jesus Christ is the judge in the divine courtroom. He alone can pardon sins. He alone can condemn. The Holy Spirit's the prosecutor. The unbeliever is the trespasser. Um, and the Jesus is the judge. And Christians, who are they in this divine courtroom setting? They are the witnesses. That's what it says in the scripture, that you're a witness. You... And so, two other things that we see the Holy Spirit doing is this. Is number two, the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of righteousness. Um, we can show the cheat sheets now. Um, they're going to, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of righteousness. You say, well, what does that mean? Um, well, first of all, the perfect example of righteousness is Jesus. Amen? He was sinless. Um, so the Holy Spirit is going to convict unbelievers concerning righteousness, concerning a couple of things. One, Jesus. Oh, my goodness, I'm reading in the Bible. Jesus is amazing. He's perfect. I'm not. Um, Jesus is the only one who could enter into heaven. It says in verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The only person that can walk into heaven on their own merit, there's only one person 
And that's Jesus because he's perfect. You can't enter the Holy of Holies. You can't enter God's righteous, God's, God's kingdom unless you're covered. You're right. No sin in heaven. Um, Jesus is that perfect example. And in fact, this is why he said, uh, be perfect as your, your heavenly father is perfect. Well, how do you get perfect? Well, you can't apart from Jesus Christ. Um, so concerning righteousness, uh, people have, uh, uh, unbelievers have this general concept, and we do too if we're not careful, is that what gets us into heaven is I got good deeds and I got bad deeds, right? You hear this all the time. If you were to die today and you went to heaven, where do you think you go? I think I go to heaven. Why is that? I've done a lot of good things in my life. Well, good deeds don't get you to heaven. The only thing that gets you to heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. Um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's, in other words, it's not uh, your works. And so at the end of the day, what happens with unbelievers is they start realizing they are not good enough to get into heaven. They need a Savior. Jesus Christ is the perfect model and picture of righteousness. Woo! I need a Savior. Um, this is the spirit of God's work. Nobody can, can convince somebody of that. A preacher can preach, teachers can teach, witnesses can witness. But at the end of the day, the spirit of God turns the lights on for them to get it. I, I think somebody, I think, I think I heard a hundred sermons, went to church a couple hundred times before anything ever clicked. And it wasn't the fault of the preacher. The spirit of God's timing was perfect. But it wasn't until much later. When the Spirit of God turns things on, it changes everything. The good news about concerning righteousness, too, is that there's a righteousness that you receive as a believer in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, God made him who had no sin, that is Jesus, for us, that in him we might have the righteousness of God. It's called, in the theological category, imputed righteousness. And what this means is, is that you receive a righteousness that's not your own. The only thing that gets you into heaven is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. It'd be like this. You have the peasant's clothes. Um, and, and, uh, and, and the Lord, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he takes off this dirty, filthy robe that you have, and he puts on this wonderful white robe symbolizing purity and righteousness. And so when the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. Amen? All to him you owe. Um, and it's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul even talks about in Philippians. He says, he talks about all his accomplishments, all his achievements. And he says, those are just rubbish compared to the righteousness that I found through faith in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther called it the great exchange that as an unbeliever, you can go to Christ and you give him your sin and then he trades you. He takes your sin. He bore it on the cross and then he gives you righteousness and your credited righteousness. So you, in forgiveness, you don't just have a cancellation of sin and the balance, the debt has been paid. Not only has the debt had been paid, but you've been credited to your account. You have surplus. Amen. So in forgiveness, we think about, oh, well, the debt has been canceled. Woo, debt's been paid off. Yes, that's true, but you've been given righteousness, and it's a credit to your account. Um, the Holy Spirit convicts 
uh, unbelievers, and still convicts believers, but specifically we're dealing with a lot of unbelievers conversation right here. Um, the last point is this, is the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. And what does he mean by this? Uh, what he means by this is the judgment, um, ultimately, of the ruler of the world. Look what it says in verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He's saying that present tense, and it refers to something that happened in the past tense. Uh, Jesus delivered his ultimate judgment to Satan. Um, he triumphed over Satan. In John chapter 12, Jesus speaks about his judgment on Satan through his death on the cross, signaling the defeat of Satan as the prince of the world. John chapter 12 tells us that Jesus replies and he says, Now this is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world has been, he will be cast out. In other words, uh, the judgment is final. The defeat is sure. There's a final execution that will happen upon Jesus' return. It's like the devil is on a chain, and unfortunately, it's a long chain, but he is condemned. Um, the unbeliever may not grasp all this in the immediate, but the unbeliever will understand that he is not walking with the Lord, and that he's on the dark side, and that there is judgment as there's judgment with Satan, the Scripture says the sinner will feel judged and condemned as well. Uh, sinners feel judged, and you hear this all the time. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Well, that's the Holy Spirit working on you, buddy. Uh, you feel judged? That's the Holy Spirit. How many of you felt judged in kind of that state pre-faith in Jesus Christ? You just kind of felt judged. I remember hanging around uh, believers early on. I'm like, man, I feel so convicted around them. <laughs> I feel so judged. That was the Spirit of God. It really wasn't them. Um, lost sinners will feel conviction and acknowledgement. They'll come to a place of acknowledging their unbelief and their recognition of a falling short of the righteousness that's required for heaven. They'll, they'll be aware of their condemnation. I remember a friend of mine um, his wife came to faith in Christ. They came out of the Catholic church and, uh, uh, she came to faith in Christ in our church and then was baptized. And then he starts coming to church for a year or two. And, um, he, she says to me, um, um, my husband would really appreciate it if maybe you could come over and talk about Jesus and the Bible. He's got a lot of questions. And so I go to their house right over here and we spend some time together and we begin to talk, and then he says to me, I am feeling overwhelmed that I'm not good enough. That's what he says. I'm feeling like I am so uncertain and scared to death of judgment. I said, wow. I mean, I wasn't even preaching on that. And he says, what happens if I die and I don't accept Jesus Christ? I said, you go to hell. And he breaks down and cries, and he goes, I don't want to go to hell. I'm scared to death of hell. <laughs> I said, good. Do you want to pray to receive Christ? He said, yeah, I do. I said, great. And the wife is over there. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the best moment of her life. I'm like, I'm like come here. Let's all hold hands. And we're holding hands in the living room. And then I got to baptize him. You know, the Spirit of God did that. It wasn't really me. I wasn't even preaching on judgment. I wasn't preaching on any of that stuff. 
he just kind of came to this place of, oh my gosh, I'm a, I, I think I'm going to go to hell if I don't receive Jesus Christ. <laughs> the lost sinner will feel convicted and condemned and come to a place that he can only be rescued by Jesus Christ. And Conversion, by the way, is impossible without conviction, and conviction relies upon the Holy Spirit. The, he is the prosecuting attorney. Uh, and so I, it's important for you to witness. Maybe you've got friends or family that are unbelievers. Maybe you yourself are an unbeliever and you're not sure about it. Well, let me talk to you who are believers for a moment. You have a job to witness, to share and show the love of Jesus Christ, to tell them what you've seen God do. Amen? You are not the prosecuting attorney. You don't condemn people. Um, you're not the judge. Jesus is the judge. The Holy Spirit is the prosecuting attorney. You can't change people. Um, but there's a work that goes on. Years ago, in closing, I'll share this story, um, and the band can come on, and come on up. Years ago, Leslie and I were in Dallas, and we were attending, um, I was attending Dallas Seminary, uh, graduated from there with two master's degree, an ADD um, challenged guy, figured it out somehow by the Spirit's help, I really believe. Um, but... And, and in seminary, you make a big sacrifice. You pay a lot of time and money uh, to go to seminary and, and get your education there. And I remember, and we always looked nice because uh, back then you had to wear slacks and a collared shirt and all that stuff. And I remember one evening I told my wife, I said, hey, let's meet down at Dallas Symphony Orchestra. Um, the seminary gave us tickets and we should go. So she arranged childcare and we went down to the symphony and it was beautiful and um, I recall I was ex really tired and exhausted and it was just this incredible I don't know if you want to call it a concoction but this incredible dynamic of so many stringed instruments and from cellos and violins and bass and all these guitars and it was just so beautiful I remember I was sitting there and I felt like we had the best seats in the house and we're sitting there and all these things are coming together. And I think one of my favorite parts of the symphony is when they're tuning like right before they start. You know, like it all starting to come together and you feel the power of it. And I remember feeling overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. It was really funny. I just felt, I was like, man, this is amazing. Like all these pieces working together. This is so cool. And then the symphony continued on and then all of a sudden it came to this real quiet stop. And everybody clapped, you know, just finally one moment. And then it was like you could have heard a pin drop. And I must have fallen asleep because I was like in this wonderful spirit trance of music. <laughs> I fell asleep. And then all of a sudden I woke up and I went. <laughs> and unfortunately, the snort echoes. And I got some nasty glares looking at me. And... Uh, <laughs> I just smiled and waved, just sorry. And um, what's my point? My point is, is I think about when you think about the Spirit's work, you need to think of a symphony. It's not just one person or one event or one church service where the Spirit's going to move. It's perhaps hundreds of conversations, hundreds of events, hundreds of encounters with people, hundreds and hundreds of brushes with the Spirit of God. And they're all working together. Um, you say, why do you say that? I say that because the Greek word for advantage is pharaoh. It's the same 
word and idea where we get the idea of symphony. It blew me away this week. It's a symphony of the spirit. Jesus says, this is to your symphero. This is to your advantage. This is like a symphony. There's so many pieces of the puzzle that are pulling together and you don't, you don't fully comprehend it because there's just too much going on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bring everything together, God's spirit with God's word and God's people. I pray that you would culminate with conviction with others and bring about conversion more and more in the lives of perhaps some individuals here today and perhaps those watching online or friends and family. And so if that's you and you're unsure of your eternal destiny, listen up. If you hear my voice, you need to know that your whole life has been leading up to this. There's been a lot of different touch points. There's been a lot of factors at play. And the Spirit of God is perhaps convicting you of your sin. And you see your standard of righteousness, it is not enough. Maybe you fear the eternal consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ. And you know in the heart of hearts you're separated from the life of God and the love of God. You're not getting heaven. You'll receive hell. You need to place your faith in Jesus Christ today. You can be forgiven. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate convictor. He's the one who's been working on you. Jesus Christ is your judge. And all those other believers in your life... They've been those faithful witnesses. Apart from Jesus saving grace, you stand a criminal condemned. You're a lawbreaker. But you need Jesus Christ. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Listen to all of you who are saints. You love Jesus Christ and you live for him. You cannot change people. Only the Holy Spirit can. Be a faithful witness. Your job is to share and to show the love of Christ to the world around you. Teach others what Jesus has commanded. Preach when you've been given the chance. Share your testimony. But understand this, only the Spirit of God can remove a heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. So the results ultimately don't rely on you at all. They rest on God. Amen.